Good morning, family. This morning's passage comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 49. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. If I haven't met you, I'm Quinn. I serve here um, with our youth ministry, and I love being a member of this church. Um, and I'm excited to preach this morning. Thanks to the creative genius of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and the visionary direction of the likes of David Maisel and Kevin Feige, superhero fans have enjoyed more than 10 years of movies in an impressively interconnected Marvel Cinematic Universe. Each new character and story and movie and now show has been intricately woven into a compelling series of events, building toward, arguably, 2019's climactic Avengers Endgame, a three-hour masterpiece of love and war, heartbreak and redemption, which broke nearly every box office record, including the top-grossing film of all time. And one of the most devastating scenes in this epic movie comes when two heroes visit the fictional planet called Vormir, at the center of celestial existence, they say. In order to defeat their great enemy, Thanos, these Avengers need the powerful Soul Stone on Vormir, but they are told that the Soul Stone demands a sacrifice. It, in order to take the stone, you must lose that which you love. A soul. 
for a soul. It's at this point that one of the beloved characters actually gives up their life to save their friends. The ransom is costly. The tension of the film is palpable. The loss is genuinely heart-wrenching. And superhero films, like many fictional stories, address themes common to man, common to our human experience. We are drawn to these stories as they explore the happiness of friendship and love and the tragedy of loss and regret. We see the fight of good versus evil. We see light versus dark. And we sit anxiously at the edge of our seat wondering how it will end. But instead of living in a world created by Disney's script writers who can change their frictional reality with just a few taps of a keyboard, we live in this one. We don't live in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We live in this one. We don't have superhuman strength. We are, in fact, weak. We are finite. And we know how our story ends. So today's passage for this text, it's about this very thing. It addresses a topic of heavy-hearted severity and reveals a glorious hope for all who would trust in God to save. So the main message of today's sermon is this. Since none of us can pay the ransom for our lives, every one of us must trust in God alone to ransom our souls or we will die without understanding. Let's start with the first four verses by asking the question, who is this message for? As the first of three points today, point number one, every one of us needs to understand the wisdom of this proverb. Look at verses one through four with me. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Now, maybe you caught that word. What, what do you think this is? A psalm or, or a proverb? A proverb may be described as a short saying that expresses a universal truth for practical living. Whereas a psalm is often a poetic meditation in the form of a a song or a prayer toward God. This particular psalm is written by the sons of Korah, descendants of Levi who likely would have been serving in the temple during King David's reign. And this chapter is a part of the Psalter, the book of Psalms, the worship hymnal of the people of Israel during this time. So it's a psalm, right? Yes. But it's also a proverb. Consider the call for everyone to listen to a universal question and a universal answer to that question. Here the author speaks of wisdom, verse 3. The meditation of the heart, verse 3. Understanding, again, verse 3. And finally, the authors describe it to be a proverb in verse 4 and something to be solved to the poem as to music in verse 4. So it's both. It's a psalm and it's a proverb. We get a bit of both today. And so who is this proverb written for? Is it just for religious people or people who attend on Easter Sunday? Is it only for the wealthy or is it only for the poor? Look at to what great lengths the psalmists Describe the intended recipients. All 
peoples, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together, everyone. And not just everyone in a general sense, but the emphasis is also on you and me in a personal sense. This is for me. This is for you. And so we ask the question, how must we respond? And again, look at the way that this is described. We are to, verse 1, hear, give ear. Verse 4, incline your ear. We should be quick to listen and slow to speak. We should allow God to speak first on this issue and we should listen to his word. And as we listen to the word of God today, let us consider the posture of our hearts. Are we humble? Are we willing? And what of our minds? What, what has your attention even now? What will you give your attention to this morning? Will we seek wisdom Allow me to read a few words from Proverbs 2 as an exhortation to us to listen to this great proverb. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to all who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. So how should we posture our hearts and our minds today? Well, receive, treasure, make your ear attentive, incline your ear, seek after it, search for it. Then you will know the understanding of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, knowledge and understanding. His wisdom will be your shield. It will guard you in this life in the path of justice. It will watch over you. You will understand righteousness and justice and every good path. Allow this wisdom to settle deep within your soul. This knowledge will be pleasant to you. It will watch over you. It will guard you. It will deliver you. So let each of us be eager recipients this morning. Let's anticipate the piercing work of the word of God if we are to gain wisdom, if we are to become wise, every one of us needs to understand the wisdom of this proverb. So now, verse 5, the psalm writers turn to the concern of this proverb, the problem of wealth and the inevitability of death. Point number two, none of us can pay the ransom for our lives. So trust in our wealth is futile and fatal. This is seen in verses 5 through 14. The problem of wealth is addressed first here in verse 5. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? I think it's fair to say that we are prone to fear 
in times of trouble. Because of our sense of security and control and even apparent invincibility is suddenly threatened, we often foolishly actually use this as a metric of perceiving God's presence and his love. When we prosper, we think that God favors us. And when times of trouble come, we question if he is even good or if he even exists at all. But what do times of trouble reveal? Times of trouble reveal where you have placed your trust. So we call a day good when it goes as we hope and plan. But what about when our hopes are dashed and our plans fail us? In what have we trusted? We assume good health until the discovery of a birth defect or cancer or COVID. In what have we trusted? We, attend, we attend church insofar as it meets our lifestyle and our preferences. But what about if there's division in the church? Or what about if you experience conviction? In what have you trusted? We expect our children to grow up in a way that honors God, but what if they don't? In what have we trusted? In the face of suffering, we suppress painful negative feelings and distract ourselves with screen time and entertainment. Let me ask again, in what have we trusted? The concern addressed here is the problem of wealth. And in this country and in this age of the world, we have enjoyed unprecedented levels of wealth. Smartphones, personal vehicles, and credit cards are just a few examples for you. According to one Bible commentary on this passage, this concern is twofold. The poor are in danger from undue desire toward the wealth of the world as the rich people from the undue delight in it. So perhaps you consider yourself to be poor. Do you desire to be wealthy? Perhaps you consider yourself to be rich. Do you delight in your riches? You see, wealth is not evil, but it is a dangerous thing because it threatens to become an ultimate thing in our lives. So if you desire to be wealthy, ask yourself, in what am I putting my trust? And do you delight in your wealth? Ask yourself, in what do you put your trust? What do times of trouble reveal in your life? When the iniquity of those around you cheat you and hurt you, those who trust in their wealth and boast in their rich abundance, so a few examples, perhaps you feel like you just can't get the recognition that you deserve at work and someone passes on you for a promotion and a pay raise. Perhaps you feel a crippling weight of debt as you receive yet another medical bill and find out that your tax refund was not as high as you expected. Perhaps you feel like there are politicians, media personalities, and billionaires in the background who are threatening your way of life and what you want for your life and your family and your future. Why is it such folly then to trust in the apparent security of wealth and boast in the abundance of riches? Verse 7 begins to tell us it is folly, it is foolish because of the inevitability of death and the price of ransom. 
Look at verse 7. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live forever and never see the pit. To ransom simply means to pay a price. So if you're under 12 and you're in here today and your parents ask you later, okay, Quinn talked about ransom. What does ransom mean? Here's your answer. Ransom means to pay the price, to pay the price. But what price are we talking about? What is the price of your soul? What is the price of your life? Well, the answer is in the question in, in the sense that you have to ask, who is the ransom being paid to? To whom do we owe a debt? In verse 7, we read that truly no one can give to God the ransom of his life. Why is this the case? Let me consider for a moment a, a brief survey of the Old Testament into the new. Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and it contains the world and those who dwell in it. Job 41, God speaking, who is given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Revelation 4 Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. And Colossians 1, to close, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The whole world, and especially every human life, my life, and your life, was created in the image of the creator in, in subjection to him, created through him and for him. We as humans, as image bearers, have this in a significant way. We see in the account of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 that God generously gives of himself. He literally breathes his own breath into man to give him life. How can we possibly repay that? And that would be one way to think about the costly price of your life. That would be right, but it would be far from complete. It wouldn't be the full story. To truly understand what is meant by this costly price, we must feel the weight of not just Genesis 1 and 2 and the beauty of God giving himself, but the tragedy of Genesis 3 as well. <clears throat> the serpent asks Eve, did God actually say? And assures Eve, you will not surely die. So again, we should ask, in what did she put her trust? Was it in the words of the serpent or in her own evaluation of what is good? Well, as a result of Adam and Eve's first sin, the world has been cursed. God describes the multiplied pain of childbearing, the added thorns and thistles and toils, and concludes by saying, by the sweat of your brow, 
You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. His final words are essentially this. You will die. Death is inevitable. What's more, we are born into sin. We're born with a natural bent, a disorientation. For we all, as Romans 1.25 describes it, have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve ourselves and the other things instead of him. And in Psalm 14.3, we read that God sees us and he sees that we have all turned aside. Together we have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. No one can pay the ransom. In a sense, we enter life with a negative account balance. We do not love God, but we love ourselves and we love the world. We fail to achieve God's call to be set apart for him. And so we read that no one, yes, no one can ransom his own life or that of another. Nobody is good enough. Nobody. We know this, we, we know we will die, but we often fail to live differently in light of this reality. And I want to pause here and reflect on that. We all know that we are going to die, but we often fail to live any differently because of it. Think about that. That's why this proverb, this Psalm was written. It's for you. It continues in verse 10. Look there. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call their lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. So who dies? The wise die. The foolish die. All die. No one escapes. Our wealth remains for a time, but that gets left to others. So whatever enjoyment we experience here, it's temporary. It doesn't last. And so the warning is for us who are living, who still have time. And here's the message. Don't waste your life. If you follow in this way, your home will be the grave, the dwelling place of all past generations. So, so verse 12 introduces us to an important refrain. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. To be pompous is to be grand or boastful, to be vain or intending to attract notice or to impress. And here he says that man in his pomp will not remain. Without God, man will not remain. God will remain, but God, but as God remains, man will be like the animals who cannot reason and will die like the beasts that perish, it says. And this echoes again, Genesis 3:19, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. This is why trusting in wealth is foolish. It's a futile endeavor. 
And ultimately, it's fatal. Trusting in anything other than God leads down a path of death. Look at verse 13. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Selah. We should pause and consider that. Like sheep, they are appointed to Sheol, to the grave. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. Let me ask you, have you trusted in your wealth, in worldly riches? I thought about this this morning. I don't think I'm one to talk about how much I earn or how much I give away. I don't buy extravagant things. But I had to wonder about myself. Have I trusted in wealth and what things can buy and secure for me? Have I trusted in wealth to be my security? And and let me ask you, have you, in, in times of plenty and in times of need, think about in times of plenty, do, do I trust in the provision, in money and things, or do I trust the provider? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 asks this question, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? How, point being, how foolish it is to place our confidence in anything but God. Or, or think about in times of need, do I, do I turn on God instead of turning to God? Do I trust my problem-solving skills, my network of relationships, my flexibility, my emergency fund? Or do I seek the Lord's help? In what have I trusted? To trust in wealth, to trust in yourself, to trust in man is Foolish confidence. Now look at verse 14. Like sheep, they are appointed for the grave. Note that this is a passive statement. Who does the appointing? God. It was God who said, for you are dust and to dust you will return. And throughout his word, God reveals his will for us in light of who he is. He says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord God, am holy. Leviticus 19.2. And yet we see that through every generation after Adam and Eve, every generation continued to walk in the way of Adam and Eve. Anticipating the need for the Messiah, Isaiah cries out, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Holy One, God, is infinitely holy and therefore perfectly just in his righteous judgment to appoint sinners to the grave. And in the insanity of sin, in our foolish confidence, we keep walking this path. It doesn't matter how many times we've seen other people walk this path before. We trust in the same things. It's like a tragic game of follow the leader. And one goes off the ledge and the next and the next and the next. And we don't stop to seek understanding. Like sheep, 
we are led by a shepherd. And, and there's a shepherd described here. And when I, when I saw that word, the, the first passage that came to mind was Ezekiel 34, where God proclaims this promise. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will, will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I, I seek out the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Which leads to John 10, 11, 600 years after that prophecy, when Jesus declares the fulfillment of that prophecy by saying, I am the good shepherd. And to that we say, yes, amen, that's awesome. But that's not the shepherd that's described here. Look here. This isn't that. The haunting reality is that without the good shepherd, we are like sheep appointed to the grave and death will be our shepherd. My mind is drawn to such harrowing figures like the Grim Reaper or the terrifying ghost of Christmas future or even Marvel's Red Skull, the stonekeeper on Vormir, to think about the idea that death will be my shepherd. To an earlier question, why should I fear in times of trouble? We have an answer to this right here. There is reason to fear, dread, because death comes for us all. It's inevitable. And death will be our shepherd. Is that not haunting? Left on our own, we remain in spiritual darkness, crushed under the weight of our sin, walking the appointed path to the grave where we shall be consumed with no place to dwell, no rest, no way to pay a ransom for our lives. Left on our own, there is no hope. And the next two words change everything. We have no hope but God. Point number three. Only God can ransom your soul. So trust in him or die without understanding. Look at verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave, for he will receive me. What a, what a hope. What a joy. And can it be that, that, that God would ransom my soul? Yes, it's true. God is the only one who can ransom your soul. Why? Well, none of us can afford to ransom our soul. We've already learned about the costly price. So consider what God possesses that none of us do. His character is perfect to the infinity. Perfectly holy, perfectly good, perfectly righteous. Not only is he the uncreated one, the pre-existent one, and therefore owes nothing to anyone, but he is also absolutely morally pure. So much so that if he, if he chose to do so, could pay the ransom price. Not just for one woman or man, but for all who would trust in him. You can see the juxtaposition of the whole psalm up until this point. Let me list off all of the weight that comes before. 
Truly, no man can ransom another. Truly, no man can give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. The wise die. The foolish die. Their graves are their homes forever. Man in his pomp will not remain. Man is like the beasts that perish, like sheep that are appointed to the grave. Death shall be their shepherd. The upright shall rule over them. Their form shall be consumed in the grave. They shall have no place to dwell. But God... That's the point. If we trust in riches, if we trust in ourselves to be the Lord of our lives, we abandon hope. But not the writer of this psalm. He trusts that God will ransom his soul. God will receive him. God can ransom him. God can receive him. No, he says, God will ransom my soul. How do we know? How do we know that we're not going to be like everybody else who has a foolish confidence in this life? Why can we trust him? God, why can I trust you? How do we know that God can ransom our souls and that he will? Quite simply, God paid the ransom price. Through the incarnation of Christ... God took on human form and walked among us. He felt our pain and he cried our tears. He lived the perfect life, perfect in every way. He did all that God required of him. As Micah 6, 8 says, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with his God. And although he was as pure and radiant as the stars of heaven, the son of God was appointed to die. He became like us, a sheep, a sheep led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53 says of him that although he had done no violence and no deceit was on his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. His soul made an offering for guilt. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He was crucified on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem. He was spat on, whipped, cursed, mocked, scorned, and yes, he was appointed to die. This man's name is Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. And if you're not a Christian, that might not make much sense to you. But listen, Jesus was appointed to die so that you could live. Hebrews 10 teaches us to remember that if we are in Christ, we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. With John the Baptist, we declare, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you want to experience that kind of freedom? Do you want to be purified? Do you want your sins to be taken away? Do you want... Jesus to pay the ransom for you. 
Jesus was appointed to die so that you could live. And not only did he pay the ransom, but the ransom, and this is important, the ransom was received by God. How do we know this? Well, it wouldn't make much sense for me to say that Jesus is the Lord of my life if he's still in a tomb, would it? But Jesus isn't dead. We know the ransom was received by God because God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. Romans 8 says that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if the spirit of God is in you, he will give life through his spirit that lives in you. Not only is Jesus the sheep that was sacrificed for us, Jesus is also the good shepherd. He will lead us home. He will receive us. So now the psalmist answers the question posed at the beginning of the chapter in verse 5. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Look at verse 16. Be not afraid. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will go down after him. For though while he lives... He counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go down to the generations of his fathers who will never again see the light. We shouldn't fear if we know that God will ransom our souls. We shouldn't fear the rich and the powerful and the popular. We shouldn't even fear death. We should not fear when times grow troublesome or when oppressors surround us. Look at verse 17. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will go down after him. Does it say if he dies? No, it says when he dies. We're reminded of the foolish confidence of, of hoping in wealth, of trusting in wealth. And in verse 18, for though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And it turns here and focuses on you and me. For though you might consider yourself, he might consider himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers and will never see the light. This, this proverb is not just for us all in a general sense, right? Is it for everyone? Yes. But ask yourself, is this for me? Is this for me? Is this word for me? This proverb is not just for everyone in a general sense. It's for you and me in a personal sense. You know, this is this is what Ken Ham suggests that we do is we read the genealogies of Genesis 5 for a reality check. And he died 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 and he died. Followed by the question, are you ready for the inevitable? Are you ready? Perhaps you are praised for your riches, for being rich in the ways of the world. Perhaps You've got the girlfriend or the boyfriend. Maybe you own a house instead of renting. Maybe you've saved up in a 401k. Maybe you wear 
better things, you own a nicer car, you've got a newer phone. Perhaps you're praised on social media or in your family or in your community, but what of it? And he died and he died and he died. Look at the solemn conclusion of this proverb, repeated from the refrain of of verse 12, here now in verse 20, man in his pomp will, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Here's the point. Since none of us, None of us can pay the ransom for our lives. Every one of us must trust in God alone to ransom our souls, or we will die without understanding. The personal sacrifice made for the soul stone in Marvel's Avengers movie is a gripping moment to be sure, but it's only a shadow glory, a shadow of the eternal glory of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I have been gripped by his life, by his love, by his sacrifice. And if you have trusted in God alone to ransom your soul, then this truth this morning is sweet to your soul. But if you are here and you don't sense that sweetness, perhaps you haven't trusted God to ransom your soul. And I would encourage you to consider the words of Jesus in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And I'll close with John's vision of Christ in glory recorded in Revelation 1. If you want to close your eyes, this was a vision that that John received, and then I'll pray. Revelation 1, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. It was Jesus. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Let's pray. God, this this passage of scripture is so heavy because it talks so much about the reality of our sin and, and the reality and inevitability of death and it's a crushing weight if there is truly no one that can ransom our soul. And I thank you for those, those two transition words right there in, in verse 15, but God, God, I thank you that you did what only you could do. You ransomed us. I thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to come, your willingness every day of your life to submit yourself to the Father so that your perfection could pay the price for our ransom, so that 
by you being appointed to death, we might live. Help us, God, to reject false confidence. Help us to trust in your ransom to the glory of the Son of God, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. He is risen.